Hallelujah. I wonder if we could put this, the, the, the lines of the song where he says, To you, hearts open, nothing here is hidden. Just throw that up there for a second. You know, somebody asked me this morning, Why do you guys worship so long? And it wasn't a criticism. It was, it was out of a, a delight that, in fact, we do. And my answer is simple is we have no hope aside from the presence of God. It is the manifestation of His presence that is the kingdom. Everything that we are about is manifesting Him. Everything we do in our life in ministry is to manifest Him. Ministry is the manifestation of Him. Change for us can only happen through the manifestation of Him to us. And so we are changed. How are we changed? When we see Him. When we know Him just a little bit more. And so our whole longing as a church, as a people, is, oh God, that I might know you more. Paul wrote about this, and he said, he said, this one thing I, I press into, that I might know him more. I mean, this is after the loads of revelation. This is after being caught up to heaven, shown things that were unlawful for him to even talk about. He says, I'm still don't feel like I've achieved, like I've, I'm finished. I'm still leaning into this, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. So worship is an opportunity for a specific kind of interface with God to connect to his presence. And I won't say more than that, but look at these words. To you, our hearts are open. Already, already, that's, that's a high thing. And I know we're singing it, but it's not necessarily true just because we're saying it. But that is, that is our hope. That is our goal this morning. God, can we really open our hearts to you? Can our, can our hearts be fully turned to you this morning? Nothing here is hidden. Wow, that's even... It's even harder. Nothing here is hidden. Nothing is hidden. I'm not, there's nothing in me that's trying to conceal anything. There's no accusation. There's no pride. There's no sin. There's no lust. There's no nothing. I'm, I'm completely open. Well, we're trying to get there. And this is a part of our journey to live open. To live naked before him to whom we must give account. This is the goal of what the word of God is doing in our lives. Transforming your heart to give you an ability to be open, fully open to people and fully open to him. So these are amazing ideals, but I don't imagine for a second that I'm fully doing this, but I'm doing what Paul has said he was doing. I'm pressing in. I'm leaning more. I'm acknowledging each increment that's divergent in my heart, each distraction, each alternate love. I'm saying, God, I don't want that. 
Change me. Change my heart. I'm leaning in. I know you are the answer, but I, Lord, I want my whole heart to worship you today. And so as we continue to press in, it is, it is in humility. It is with the, the awareness that we are on a journey and we are incomplete. And only he knows what it's going to take for our hearts to be fully his. So, Lord, we say today, as much as we believe in the resurrection, as much as we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and was raised on the third day, as much as we believe that you are the source of everything, as much as we believe that if we seek you with all our hearts, we will find you, God, we ask for help to reach into the secret place where you are. So if you're worshiping with us today for the first time, let the grace of God pull you into a deeper place than you've ever been before. And may the light of his countenance, may, may the light of his face penetrate the hidden places of your heart and transform you today. This is our hope and this is why we're here. Let's worship him. These words are incredibly easy to speak, but the journey of the believer is increasing surrender. And you keep discovering that there are layers to your heart, that things remain unsurrendered. But the prophetic promise to, that the Father gave to His Son is, you will have it all. He will have it all. And at the core of the battle is a question about righteousness. The core of the battle in Job's life was about righteousness. He believed he was righteous enough. And so when hardships came, he blamed God. And this is the gospel message. It says, let God be true and every man a liar. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Some of you are in the fight of your lives today. And it seems like a price has been exacted from your life that you didn't even know was possible. It wasn't what you bargained for. It wasn't what you were told when you were first preached the gospel. And maybe Paul didn't fully understand that, but I think Jesus made it clear because Jesus preached the gospel to him. But at the end of the day, he said, the glory that shall be revealed in me is not worthy to be compared to the suffering. And the battle in our hearts is, no, the price that's being exacted is too hard. And that's the lie. That's the lie that occupies the heart of the unsurrendered soul. And there is a gospel that's being preached that's coming to fullness in the earth that is going to bring the righteousness of man to an end. It's going to break through the self-pity. It's going to break through the woe is me. It's going to, it's going to break through the why is me. Why is it so hard for me? Let God be true and every man a liar. Father, give us grace today to say you are true. You are right. You are righteous. To say I surrender all. 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 So this morning I was reading in the Bible 
about the first time that David brought the ark or tried to bring the ark to Jerusalem. But instead of putting it on the shoulders of the Levites like they were instructed, they put it on a cart. And even though the Bible says they danced before the Lord with all their might, and even though they gave their energy, they didn't give to God what he desired. They didn't give to God what he required. So even though they put out energy and they put out effort, you know, you can raise your hands to God, you can sing the right words, but it is about the heart truly. So, Father, I repent in my own life, Lord, where I've done the actions, I've played the drums, I've lifted my hands, I've have the appearance of a godly family. But what about my heart? What about our hearts, Jesus? So, Lord, we pray that we want your presence in our lives deeply, Father, but it's not about our desire, it's about doing it your way and surrendering truly to you, Father. It's almost like we shouldn't go on to another song right now because there's a brooding of the Holy Spirit over our hearts today. This is the story of redemption from day one where man did what he thought was right in his own eyes. And Cain did what David did, but he did it a different way. And he thought, well, I'm going to bring God what's meaningful to me and I put so much effort into raising these fruits and vegetables, and why wouldn't he be happy with my effort? And when God rejects the sacrifice of Cain, Cain is angry, and he's envious of his brother. And out of that, a spirit of darkness begins to hover over his life, and murder is born in the heart of a man. And the catalyst... It's always the same catalyst. It's about the righteousness. What is actually correct in the eyes of God? And man keeps going back to, well, what's wrong with this? Father, God, release, release the fire, the consuming fire of your Holy Spirit. God, release the consuming fire of your Holy Spirit to begin to burn and penetrate and convert our hearts. Oh, God, what does it mean to really seek the Lord? For years as a young Christian, I read accounts of revival and revival meetings and tent meetings and these protracted periods of time when believers would come together for weeks on end every day. And you think, what's, what's the purpose of that? You know, what, what's the value? Is that just, you know, a glory tent for self-gratification? It can be. But what was happening is there was a deep conversion of the heart that happened as the glory of the knowledge of the Lord penetrated deeper and deeper and deeper into the hearts of men. And I remember a number of stories with great revivalists and evangelists where, where people would run to the front and, uh, and want what it was that was being offered in the altar call. And, and, the, and the prophetic evangelists would, would, would re- push them away and say, no, you are not ready. Come again tomorrow. No, you are not ready. Come again the next day and the next day. Because they understood that it wasn't just a flippant, yeah, 
I would prefer this. No, the conversion of the heart is deeper than what the mind would tell the lips to articulate and say. And so we think we know our hearts, and God is saying, let me penetrate your heart. How do you know? How do you know when you're through? How do you know when you've broken through? Resurrection. But God can't resurrect what isn't fully dead yet. So there's a dying process going on in so many of our lives. But there's resurrection coming. There is resurrection coming. There is resurrection coming. And God is saying, listen, you are only delaying the death. Many of the... the, the, the the, the streams of self-pity and the distractions of the things you pour yourself into are keeping that which is dying alive only a few months and years longer. And God is saying, come to the cross and die, will you? Because resurrection is immediately on the other side of death. Immediately. You, when you die, you will not be able to avoid resurrection. Something changes immediately. So God, teach us how to let patience have its work. How to see the purifying of our faith. The purging of our hearts. Let's sing this song one more time. I'm giving you my heart. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to step right in. I feel like there's uh, there is such a call from the Spirit of God, and uh, you know there's a deep thing that God is planning to do in our hearts. So, Father, thank you, God, for your word, and Lord, you promised that that which you began in us, you would complete. And so, Lord, our faith and our hope is in you today. Can you say amen to that? God, our faith and our hope is in you. Lord, we, we sometimes think we know what we're doing. We, we do get insights, but uh, Lord, give us a breakthrough in humility. Father, to see correctly the part we have versus the part that we lack in Jesus' name. You know, I could just, I could briefly mention something about that, that, that the nature of humility is not denying what you've achieved, but it's, it's about realizing what is, yet, what is yet to be, a, you know, touched. It's the part, when you begin to realize that God is eternal then it creates less significance on the small part that you feel you have. And so it's hard to boast in an increasingly small part. (laughs) It's hard to feel like, you know, you're not going to be strutting when you you realize, you know, when you think you're at 9 out of 10, yeah. But 1 out of a million, 1 out of 10 million, 1 out of a billion... Yeah, we'll leave the bragging till later. You might not notice a couple of trees up here. These are not real trees. These are fake trees, but for our, our purposes today, I've set these out. 
because I began last week talking about something, and I believe it's essential to the gospel that, that we're coming into. Well, why do you say coming into, Pastor Mark? Because, because I believe that we don't really fully understand the power of the gospel in converting the heart. And I don't think we really understand the process of that conversion. And God is wanting to deepen our understanding of what he is doing. And, you know, I, uh, again, if you understand the journey that you're on, then you start to give God the benefit of the doubt when things aren't going the way you think they should be doing. It's kind of like me and my wife. You know, this morning I was looking for frozen coconuts for my smoothie. And uh, we didn't get into it because I, I, I didn't go this way. But what could happen and what has happened in the past is I say, where are the coconuts? And she says, they're in there, in the freezer. I looked. She says, you know, she's like, did you look with your man eyes? <laughs> or did you really look? No, I, I, you know, there's layers of diligence. And the ultimate layer, somebody who's truly diligent will empty literally the freezer, analyze and open every container and look. That's looking. That general glance, nothing's jumping out at me. You can call it looking. You did look in the general direction of the stuff. But believe me, there are layers to looking. And a diligent person views with scorn and ridicule the looking that non-diligent people call looking. Right? Right? So there's layers to everything. And, and when somebody says to you, you know, do it this way, I did. And you know for a fact that the thing works and that they didn't really do it correctly. You say, no, you didn't. Do it again. How many times have you said that to your kids? Clean your room. I did. Go clean it again. You know, and after about the fifth time, then you'll come and you'll start... And they, no, for sure it's clean. And even then you go back. Well, what about these obvious things out in the open? Never mind what's under the bed or what you've thrown in the drawer unfolded. or Degrees, layers. And the presumption that our version of this is enough is a wrong premise on which to start. But it is the only one we know. And hence the difficulty because coming into God's version of things is always a death to your version. It always involves a laying down of your perception of the right way for a more fuller right way. And so I've I've put these trees out here to illustrate two things, two kingdoms. Which one should be the kingdom of God? Any any thoughts, suggestions? This one, because flowers, right? White flowers, Got to be something heavenly about that. Though there is red, red here. Red is, you know, the blood of Jesus. Blood, you know. Anyway, but we'll go with this. Kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of darkness. Demonic kingdom. I mean, demonic kingdom. Kingdom of God. Death, life. All right. If I get mixed up later on in the message, you know, shout it out to me. You don't want me doing it wrong on camera, right? 
Help me out, right? So, at the very beginning, and we'll read this, and, and maybe before we read it, let me tell you where we're going. Because I, I think I know. I, I, at least I, I know where I want to go. I want to go to the division of soul and spirit and bone and marrow where the word of God penetrates and pierces to the place where it exposes the thoughts and the intent of the heart. We're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about what it means to be holy. We're going to talk about two kingdoms. We're going to talk about life and death. But ultimately, we're going to try and answer a question I threw out last week when I asked, you know, how do you get there? Because we talked about the, the challenge of law and grace, but how do you get there? How do you manifest the one that you want in your life? And I thought, you know, that is the classic question. So we're going to try to navigate over there. So well, what, what, what are we doing? I want to give you courage and strength and diligence and faith to, to run this race with more intensity than you've ever thought you could give. Because, I mean, there is a treasure at the end of the rainbow. There is a prize. You know, and this is what Paul understood. You know, I, I, I reach for the prize of the high calling. And I don't consider that I'm, I'm finished and I'm done. And I, you know, I think he said that because there were probably a few times when he thought, you know, I think I'm relatively complete here. And then God opens a whole other dimension of his heart and said, yeah, no. So, Father, we want to put our lives before you today and say to you, Lord, that this is your journey. And we, have, we are relatively clueless about where the end is from the beginning. But you are taking us along on this journey. And God, as much as we grow and as much as we learn and we appreciate every increment of growth and revelation and insight, but God... May we never assume a grasp that we do not possess. So, Lord, take us deeper today. So, in the beginning of uh, this thing, the, the kingdom of God is illustrated by this idea that there are two trees. And it's in, it's in Genesis chapter 1, 9. I could talk a lot about the two trees. I love this theme. I I think it's a great pictorial for the two kingdoms. But what's interesting to me is that, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the tree of life that's talked about here. So it says in verse 8, chapter 1, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was also in the garden, in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, you, you know, well, we'll jump ahead to verse 16. Let's go ahead there. And the Lord God commanded the men, saying, of every tree you may eat. Thousands of trees here, Adam. Tens of thousands. Many, many, many trees. You can eat of all of them. But one tree you can't eat of. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat it. 
For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now the principle here is what Jesus said when he said, you'll know everything by its fruit. You'll know every man by its fruit. Every tree is known by its fruit. It's the principle of creation. It said every, every seed produces after its own kind. And let me, let me prophetically give you a foreshadowing. What we want in our lives is to know which fruit is growing. Ultimately, what we want to see is which one is being developed in our lives. And we don't want to know, we don't want to wait till it's producing the fruit. We want to know, preferably, at seed time and har- not harvest time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you know at seed time and if you can avoid sowing seeds. Now, the enemy is going to sow seeds. We know that. You know that picture. But if we can avoid nurturing and sowing seeds that are producing the wrong fruit, how many of you think that would be a good thing? Yeah, yeah probably. So here's the problem. He says, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is the tree of life. So he says, this is the tree of life. You can eat of that. And we don't even know anything about that. We don't know if they ate of it. Maybe they did every day. What was the effect of that? I don't know. I'm really curious to find out, actually. But that tree is there. They could eat of that tree. But they were not allowed to eat of this tree. Now, he says, if you eat of this tree, it'll, you're, the day you eat of it, you're going to die. Death will enter into you. We know physically they didn't die in the very day, in the 24-hour season. But they died spiritually. There's something They got cut off from the life of God. But what was this tree? The day you eat of it, the outcome will be death. So if every tree is known by its fruit, we could quite easily call this the tree of? Yes, good. Give yourself a hand. I mean, even the tigers would get that. That's uh, for those that are watching, the Tigers are Sunday school class. I don't know what ages. All right? Death, or death and life, death and life, death and life, death and life. You know, when Joshua stood before the Lord, he said, before I put you death and life, Jesus came and said, right, I am the resurrection and the life. Everything, Old Testament and New Testament, is about two kingdoms. It's about two sources. It's about life and it's about death. It has been from the beginning and it always will be about life and death. All the way through. Always been about life and death. But the problem with this tree, the tree and the distraction, the deception of this tree, is the fact that it produces two kinds of fruit, the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. It produces both of them. And so some brainiac thought... Hey, the tree of death is a good thing. You know, this is what the Satanists literally celebrate today. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because through it came knowledge, insight, enlightenment. He said, it's not the kind of enlightenment you want. This one also brings enlightenment. Anyway, that's a whole other message. But, But the idea, what distracts us is that this tree brings forth good and evil, but it's all death. And the problem is, it brings forth the knowledge of good. The knowledge of good has the appearance of good. It is a, an imitation of life. It is a, a false counterfeit 
that looks exactly like this one, except at the end, at harvest times, it produced the very polar opposite effect. But it looks good. What are we talking about here earlier today? Just, a, just, just an idea here, right? So Cain is, Cain is there, and he's thinking, oh, God said he wants a lamb, but hey, I don't work with animals. I work with fruit. I work with vegetables. Uh, I know he didn't include this, but clearly, I mean, have you tasted vegetables and fruit? They're so great. And do you know how much work goes in it? I mean, what, what Abel's doing, you know, I mean, he doesn't even hardly any do any work. I mean, me, I'm tilling the ground, I'm, I'm weeding, I'm doing all kinds of things. What's Abel doing, you know? The, the, the sheep sort of take care of themselves. They eat grass, and so you walk around with a staff. Big deal. This is real. This, this has way more value than this. And the opinion of man determines what is valuable to him and therefore what is good to him. The energy of man poured into something is what gives him the sense that there's value in this. And like was shared this morning about David bringing up the cart and the ark, the intent was great, but the obedience was less than. But, you know, in the mind of man, well, you know, it's the thought that counts. No, it isn't. It's the obedience, the execution, and the value system that goes into that thing. That at the end of the day, what the fruit that's produced, is it comes out of the genesis of that. And if there's presumptuous pride and human opinion, which exalts itself against the knowledge of God, then this thing is corrupt to the core. No matter what it looks like. No matter what it looks like. It's corrupt. So, what God is trying to do is he's trying to say, listen, I want you to understand that from seed time to harvest, this kind of seed will produce this kind of harvest, this kind of seed will produce this kind of harvest. I don't want you to keep having to wait. You will learn through coming into the wrong kinds of harvests in your life, or you can just take it from me. And we learn both ways. But anyway, I digress a little bit, because I love this, this concept. I'd like to talk more about it. But I'm trying to get towards something that's a, maybe a little more complicated. Are we okay with that? Last week, I started by saying, you know, that we have this command in our lives, be holy as I'm holy. Right? That's a pretty tall order. You know, uh, when, I, when I first got saved, well, I, I, I backslid because I was trying to be Christian good and I realized I couldn't. And so I backslid because, because I can't be good. And, um, I mean, I was having a hard time being regular good. And then when, you know, being Christian good was put on me, it's like that was almost impossible. No, it was impossible. And, uh, and so when, I, when the Lord came to me in the bar in, in Coal Lake, Alberta, the glory of the Lord came on me, I saw the power of God that was available to bring me to the end. I didn't understand it at the time. I didn't understand the dynamics of my heart. I didn't understand pride. I didn't understand how human flesh, you know, uh, striving to please God in my flesh. I didn't know that that's what that stuff was. 
I didn't know that being moved by guilt, being moved by fear, being moved by ambition, being moved by pride, that all of that creates death. Well, what could be wrong? Yeah, there's some shame working in my life, but the shame is motivating me to be cleaner. Every fruit, every tree produces after its own kind. Every seed produces after its own kind. So if the seed, if the genesis of that thing is guilt, if the genesis of that thing is fear, if the genesis of that thing is manipulation, if the genesis of that thing is jealousy, if the genesis of that thing is competition, what's the fruit going to be? The same thing. But we don't see the difference between one seed and another. So our churches are made up of a smorgasbord. Is that the right way to say it? Is that the Swedish way? Smorgasbord? (laughs) Of an assortment of motivations. You know, we thought, well, as long as, you know, as long as we're trying to do the right things. No! No! Your sincerity is not important. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness is always about the reality of the true essence of the catalyst. What is the essence of the thing? What is the seed? That's why the kingdoms of God and the kingdoms of darkness are represented always as seed. You know, when the, when, the, when the Lord gives the parable, the seed that's being sown, an enemy comes, and what does he do? He sows another seed. Why, why is the language always about seeds? Because the kingdom of God, as a Christian, what this is about is what source are you living out of? Where do you draw your strength? That's what we talked about last week. So Jesus saying, be holy as I am holy, and... Uh, and, and so we're, people are trying to be holy as he is holy. Let me put it out there. It's impossible, right? Which is the point. The impossibility of that, when you really realize it's impossible, then you stop trying to do it that way. That's why uh, the gospel is the end of righteousness through the law. It's not the end of the law, the value of the law, the effect of the law, but it's the end of the law for righteousness. Law has a whole other purpose, just not righteousness. And so the commandment, I'm getting ahead of myself. So there's these, these things at work in us. And with Israel, and God is rebuking Israel. I said, listen, I've given you a fresh river to drink out of, and you're drinking instead out of your own cisterns that you've made. And a cistern is a... Uh, depository of human excrement, right? Very bad versions of a life-giving stream of water. And that's, that analogy is given to us because that's what we do. That's what we do. Well, yeah, I'm a new Christian. I mean, I'm a New Testament Christian. And I don't do that. Yes, you do. That's what we do. Because the default, the default is that we pull from our own strength. That's why when Paul was writing, he says, we are the circumcision of God who put no confidence in the flesh. But what if I do have confidence? What if on some level, I don't see the difference between, you know, as long as the, the thought is correct. As long, well, you know, yeah, I'm active in the church and it is, I am a people pleaser and it is to, to you know, to, to provide enough of a reputation that in the future I might be able to get on the board or get elected to some premium position or maybe God will love me enough that I'll get to go into ministry. Uh, That can't be a bad ambition. (laughs) Can it? What could be bad about that? Anyway, I digress. So let's go back. 
the premise that we were starting from last week, we're saying this, is that Jesus comes to a people who are heavy down, heavy laden, right? Their, their, their yoke is heavy and their burden is, is impossible. And he says, come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so he says, well, what? They're like, oh, this sounds great. You're going to liberate us from the yoke of the law? You're going to liberate us from right and wrong as we know it? This, the law that's, you know, because it's producing in all of us the wrong stuff. You're going to liberate us from that? This is going to be great. How are you going to do that? Well, okay, here's the way it works. Before you heard that if you murder somebody, you're in danger of, you know, judgment. Well, now, if you even have a bad thought towards somebody, you're equally in danger. Okay, how is this liberation? You heard it said before that if you commit adultery with a woman, you know, that's bad. Well, here's the liberation I'm giving you. Now, even the thought of doing that is that thing. How is that easier? How is that light? <laughs> and so what we, what we concluded last week, at least I concluded, was that the reason for this impossible standard was so that you stop going that direction. That it it establishes in something in you that there's no possible way of pleasing God that way. You can't work hard enough. You can't give hard enough. You can't worship hard enough. You can't lift your hands long enough. If you think that that's the thing that's pleasing God, you're sadly mistaken. All that energy, all that effort, all that diligence, if you think that's what gives you credit in the eyes of God, that's the wrong path. Well, shouldn't we do those things? Yes, you should do those things. It's a question of how. How do I do those things? And here, I'll try and illustrate simply. Because even though it is simple on one level, it's very complicated, especially when you get into the convolution of your hearts and minds emotions. Father, give us clarity in Jesus' name. The kingdom of God is basically saying, listen, what you have inside of you is the ability to draw from death and the ability to draw from life. Guard your hearts for out of it comes the issues of life. Out of the mouth comes life and death. Right? So, oh, I... I, I should not say wrong things. Well, not only that, but the, 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 the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart. So not only should you stop saying wrong things, you should stop having a wrong heart. How do you do that? Exactly. That's the question. How do you do that? And, and, and so it's all about, at the end of the day, it's all about, it's about, all about faith. What do you actually believe works? What do you actually believe pleases God. What, is there a version of the knowledge of good that's good enough that even God will be impressed? No, there's no version of that that impresses God. Everything that God wants to do has to come through faith, faith in him. And see, what we don't see is that when a guy does something, when you go out and you give five bucks to somebody because they, you know, they're hungry, you think, well, look at that. That guy gave five bucks to that person. Obviously, that's a great thing to do. Not necessarily. That's why I share that one testimony in my life where I was out and I was feeling incredibly guilty because I was not succeeding as a Christian the way I thought. I had 
dropped off all of my disciplines. I wasn't fasting. I wasn't praying. I was, uh, I was consumed with sinful thoughts, and, and I was feeling super, super guilty. And I went out on the street to evangelize, and I thought, I, I don't know. I can't even evangelize. I feel so guilty, so shame-ridden myself. I know what I'll do. I'll alleviate my guilt by giving my last $5 to this guy. So I give my precious $5 to him. Now, to him, he don't care what reason I, d- I gave it to him. For him, it's all the same. Big Mac and fries, whether you're guilty or not, it's all the same to me, man. But for me, who's assuming this is a good work, as soon as it left my hand, the Holy Spirit said to me, well, that was a waste. Because the seed, the catalyst, was shame. You can't please God by anything other than faith. That means, well, what's the alternative? Can you do righteousness out of a living relationship with him, with no guilt, no shame, nothing except his light glowing and touching you, his voice speaking to you. You know, you, your goodness is now a manifestation of his life flowing through you, not the intent that I'm trying to mitigate for what's wrong with me. So we're in this place where we're drawing from some of these and And so your whole life is God showing you which one you're drawing from at what point. And so yesterday we talked, or last week we talked about, that's why this blanket language is there, about things that are born from below and things that are born from above. Things that are born from God, he says, overcome the world. So what God is giving us is an absolute language to help us identify fruit. Saying, listen, the things that come from me overcome the world. Oh, God, you got to help me. I'm fainting here. I really do believe in you. No, you don't. If you really did believe in me, you wouldn't be fainting. Yeah, but I'm trying really hard. Yeah, but you're doing it the wrong way. But I'm looking. No, you're not. The coconut is in the freezer. We're not really sure about that, if it's actually there or not. We're going to check later. But the kingdom of God is that God has established in you a source of life of immeasurable power, unending flow of good thoughts, energy for action, goodwill. I mean, this is the reason why the angel said, uh, you know, goodwill to men on earth, because what this is, he says, listen, all this, you're trying to be good, right? And you produce a, an, an amount of this, this knowledge of good, and it still ends up being eat death. He said, I'm going to liberate you from the burden of that. I'm going to free you by giving you another source, by giving you another stream. Well, how do we get this? Well, it's achieved through faith. Okay, it's very uh, ambiguous to the unbelieving mind. So Jesus' answer to a a struggling people is, is raising the bar. Why? Because he's trying to shut off that as a possible direction. And And here's the problem. We can say that but not do that. Because, you know, in your mind, you know things to be true. Somehow other things happen. So I'm trying to get down to the start of my message for today. <laughs> I was a little summary of where we were last week. Honestly, this, they're, they're, we're, we're trying to drive a truth into the heart that changes the course of where you draw life from. Not give you a little tidbits of step one, two, three, what to do when you're on a bus and you want to share your faith. I mean, those are great little three steps, 
but we want to change the course of your life so that you're rooted in the resurrection power of God that overcomes the world. See, this is the beauty of this, and, and this is what God has done to me, is that every time something happened that was disappointing to me, every time something happened where I thought things were supposed to go this way and they went this way, I was a part of a church and things went bad and they, they were supposed to go this way, I had these prophetic promises and I did this right and, and they went this way, I, I, as disillusioning as that was, God would say to me, listen, Mark, you're just discovering one more wrong way to do it. Don't be discouraged. You know that ministry you thought it was perfect? Okay? It was just better than anything you'd seen before, but it still wasn't the thing that I was, I'm doing. So get back on the horse and go. Oh, Father. Father, open our hearts to the simple knowledge that there's something that you've given us to access things that are meant to be brought into a body of people and into our individual lives that overcomes every obstacle. This is why it says love never fails, because love never fails. Oh, I don't know. I, I love this guy, and uh, yeah, he hurt me. See, love can't be hurt. Love melts. Love is nuclear energy. It melts everything that comes up against it. It's, it is the... The essence of the power, the resurrection power of God. Your simple, uneducated, ignorant attempts to be something you, that generally resembles a love action might not be equivalent. Should you not do it then? No, no, no. You need to do it if for no other reason than to discover it's not the thing that overcomes the world. Which says, okay, there's a better version of this. See, I, I discovered this, and this, this is a little... little break on, on where we're going. I discovered this as a young Christian because I was so wounded inside and so insecure. Can you imagine that? Wounded, insecure, fearful, me? That's what I was. As, as unimaginable levels of insecurity. People hurt me every day. Every day people were wounding me. And God says, forgive them. And that was a chore, you know, because I generally was pretty optimistic about people until they hurt me. And then it's like, Let me create a buffer system between you and I. I'll insulate my life from you. And the Lord says, forgive them. Forgive them. And he started bringing me into increasing moments. Well, and I'm thinking, well, why, you know, why, do, why am I keep getting hurt? He says, keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep forgiving. You know what then I realized? That three quarters of the time I thought they were hurting me. I was deceived. That they weren't, they didn't even see me there. There was no intentionality. There was no malice. There was no nothing. And when I, when I first got to that threshold, I thought, how often does this happen, Lord? He said, yeah, all the time. <laughs> oh, well, I want to stop judging the world then. But then he began to bring me into a season where people were actually hating me. And I said, now forgive them. And so I began to forgive them. And then you know what he did? You know what he did? And this is probably impossible for some of you to think. Then he said, listen, when you get hurt now, I don't want you to forgive them. I want you to repent. Uh, how's that? Because love is not easily offended. And you're easily offended. So, you know, we're shifting the, the, the onus of responsibility off of everybody else and onto you. And when you have fully absorbed the responsibility to overcome all things, you can only do that by tapping into me. And each time you forgive and each time you repent, something inside of you is turning. 
Something inside of you is shifting. And you're starting to tap into, Mark, my eternal nature that can overcome anything. My, my pastor, Gideon, you've heard him say this. He was here. And he said, you know, it used to take me 20 minutes to come to that moment. It used to take me an hour. It used to take me a couple of days. Now I give myself three minutes when somebody does something. I give myself three minutes. And again, I, I, I just say, I just, I just own it because when, when nastiness comes out of me, that did not originate from anybody but me. And my, I don't have to be responsible for everybody else. I just have to be responsible for the nastiness that's coming up in my heart. So, well, what are you doing? Are you, well, that, that's, are you trying to obey a law? No, I'm just trying to change the course of where I'm getting strength from. By each time I repent, each time I own something, I'm saying, I'm saying, okay, this, this fruit in my life is coming out of this tree. I don't want that. I don't want that. I repent for that. When I'm repenting, I'm not saying they're right. I'm saying there's something in me is drawing from the wrong place. It has nothing to do with the rightness or wrongness of the people around me. I can't change them. I can only change me. So, now I, I've really strayed from my message. Here's my question. What is the purpose of law? That's where we finished last week. And let me quickly say, the law manifests sin. That's what the law does. And so there's all kinds of verses, but there's two really good ones. One's in Romans 5.20. The other one's in Romans 7, starting around 5. But let me read you the ones in Romans 5.20. If you want to know what the purpose of the law is, the purpose of the law is to condemn. The purpose of the law is to make a distinction between what is from above and what's from below. It's, it's, a, it's a rule of thumb. It's a, it's a, it, it makes clear, makes a distinction between one fruit and another fruit. That's what it's there for. And so it has to do that, what it's doing. It's spiritual. It actually affects the genesis, the place from which all of your motives come to, come to life. Oh, I know that's a little complicated, right? Romans 5.20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. What? The purpose of the law is to increase sin. But actually, that's maybe a bad word. It's less about increasing than making it manifest, making it obvious what it is, showing you, bringing it from seed to harvest quickly. That's what the law does. It's a form of rain on the seeds of your heart that causes it to blossom quickly so you can say, oh, I don't like where this is going. I don't like where this is going. You know, after that happens a million times, you start to notice a pattern. And the more you notice a pattern, you start cutting it shorter and shorter and shorter. Because, but what we're, it's not about behavior. It manifests in behavior, but it's about sources. And when you start to realize that, that there's these things at work inside of you, again, this is the idea. It's at work inside of you. This is what Paul said. He said, there's something in me that's hostile to God. Something in my flesh that's hostile to him. I see a law working in me against the law of my mind, where I want to do good, but there's something else working inside of me. Two principles, a principle of life and a principle of death. What we're called to do is to cut off the principle of death, but you've got to see where it's working. And you can't wait till, you know, till it's fully grown and, oh, that's, that's rotten fruit, that's terrible, because it may take years to go from seed time to harvest, or months, or weeks. So, so he, 
in Romans, Romans is this amazing book. He's breaking down for us how the redemptive process of God works in your spirit and, and, and how the law works in, in your life. That's what he's doing. Now, if you go to Romans chapter 7, start reading in verse, verse 5, this is what it says. It says, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Okay, it, uh, how can you illustrate this? It's like yeast in bread. You know, yeast is, I'm not a scientist and I don't know, I'm not a baker, but here's a really bad example. But yeast, in my mind, is some chemical agent that causes things to start to work. You know, the yeast starts some kind of, you know, but it needs ingredients to act on. Okay? Yeast causes some, an action on something. So if you have yeast in the bread and then it starts doing its thing, it's because it's latching onto something and producing an effect. He's saying, listen, the law is like yeast, but it latches onto something that you don't know is there and then begins to bring it to harvest. For the purpose of showing you that it's there, to show you where it is, where it's hiding. Because the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, it's like, this is the world, this is my only motivation, so I'm trying to not do evil and and do good. And he's saying, actually, uh, that's, not, that's not the divide. The divide is between life and death. And what the law does is shows you what's death and shows you what's life. Right. And it shows you that all you can produce ever is this. Right. All you can ever produce out of your strength, your good intent, your opinions, your knowledge, all you can produce is death. Wow. The very best thing you can produce is a cheap, imitation of resurrection life. And it'll cost you everything. And you think, God, look at all the knowledge of good I'm producing. You should appreciate it. Do you know how much effort's gone into that? Say, no, I only value what comes from me. Only what comes from me can manifest me. And only I am life. And only I am love. And only my power overcomes the world. Everything you do out of this is a furtherance of what's already in the world. No matter how good it looks. We could talk a lot about that. Let me keep reading. So, let me read this verse again because it's so powerful. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to produce death or to bring fruit to death. Bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not the oldness of the letter. Well, hallelujah. We're free. In theory, we're free. But the freedom has to be walked out. And that's why later he says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So the question is, well, which tree are you being led by? Anybody here want to contend that 90, well, 100% of every day, every hour, of every minute, you are led by the Spirit? Well, yeah, it's a Spirit. <laughs> Sometimes it's Antichrist. <laughs> are you guys okay? Isn't this fun? 
Isn't this fun? You see, and the reason why there's no condemnation is because condemnation is the fruit of that tree. The reason why there's no condemnation is because there's only condemnation when you're trying to do it good and you do it wrong and then you feel shame and guilt and all the other things, which is, again, the fruit of death. It only happens when you're feeding from that tree. When you're actually pulling from this tree, actually pulling from this tree, it's resurrection life, it never fails. That's why it says love never fails. It never fails. It, how many times? Never. It never fails. It never fails. It never runs out of strength. Well, how long do I keep forgiving people until you realize the forgiveness that comes from the life of God is not the same as the forgiveness that comes from you trying to be a good Christian? Because this one, eventually you faint. That's it. I'm writing you off. I'm not forgiving you anymore. Three times I've told you where the coconut is. And you refuse to look. My wife would never say that, just for the record. She is the epitome of patience and godliness. Well, patience. She's great, though. Two kingdoms, two sources. And what the the divine line is, when you're pulling from this one, you can't fail. It overcomes everything. So the goal is, stop pulling from this one and only pull from this one. And what's happening is that there's these two principles in your heart. Well, which, how do you know which one ignites? How do you know which one's working? What determines which one starts to function? The good yeast or the bad yeast? Which one, does, which one you actually believe in? Which one you actually believe in? Let me, let me go back to an old sermon. Shared 50 times here. Remember the little faucet thing? And the faucet, you know, when I, I, I shared the, the anatomy of the internal of that faucet, that single faucet, you know, not the hot and cold, but the one that leans one way or another. There's a ball inside there, and, and there's a hole, and when you lean it to one way, it lets more cold water in. If you lean it the other way, it lets more hot water in. Hot water, hot water in on this side. But if you go all the way to one side, it's only cold or only hot. Your heart is a lever like that, and it leans based on confidence. It leans one way or another based on what you believe. So you draw from either this one or this one based on what you believe. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The substance of who you are is not what you want to be, not what you hope to be, not what you pretend to be, but what you actually believe in your heart. But here's the thing. This is why Hebrews 4 is so important. But you don't know what you actually believe. And so the word of God comes in because we're all sincere Christians. We're trying to believe. I believe God. I trust God. I give you all my heart. But you're not. And you don't know you're not. And so the word penetrates to reveal, to make clear, to show you the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Why? Because the word produces faith. How does the word produce faith? By showing you that you're leaning on things that you ought not to be leaning so that you stop leaning on them. Faith, well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's great. I want more faith. I want more faith. I want more faith. Well, what faith actually does, it comes in, it makes manifest what you actually think, what you really believe, where your strength is really coming from, what, are, what you're really leaning into so that it shows you actually you're leaning into this. And the bad fruit, the failure, the frustration, the anger, the jealousy, the the accusations, the all-around putridness of your life 
is evidence. No, there's some good in me. There's no good in this. None. That's why, again, the language of Romans starts, there's none good, no, not one. All have gone astray. There's none good. Yeah, but some people are clearly better than others. Yeah, without Christ, you have no capacity for this kind of goodness. You can generate a form of goodness, but behind the leaves of that goodness is, I want something. And this is the best way to get it. At best, that's what's there. The more you actually believe that, the more you, in your heart, start to lean. Oh, I want this one. Because at the end of the age, the judgment of God is, which one were you manifesting in your life? Father, in the name of Jesus, break through. Lord, show us. God, we want to be sure about which one we're doing. So let me quickly try and wrap this up. Well, you know what? You need to go to Romans 7. But Romans 7 and Romans 8, Romans 7 is the frustration of trying to do it out of this tree. Romans 8 talks about the seed that was planted in you and what is coming, what is bringing to fullness and the process through which that fullness is coming in your life. But the short and tall of this is that there are two kingdoms, there are two sources, and which one you believe. The reason why faith pleases God is faith is dependency on him. And that's why Paul summarized who we were by saying we are the circumcision of God who put no confidence in the flesh. We're letting God cut away the unfruitfulness of unbelief from our lives. But let me pray, because I feel like there's this weightiness of God imprinting something on our hearts. And this is the gospel. This is the apostolic gospel that changes the course, the direction. So Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we ask that you would amplify our sense of the consequence of drawing from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I pray that you would amplify the vanity, the emptiness, the futility of drawing from our own strength. God, I pray that you would amplify the path that leads to laying down our lives, to laying down our effort, to finally consider what Paul considered dung, all of my effort, all of my strength, all of, all of my righteousness, all of my ideas of what is good, and say, you alone are good, Lord. You alone are good. You alone are good. You alone are good. I'm thinking of Peter when he was so exasperated by, by Jesus, and Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And he keeps saying he does. But the point is, no, you don't. And finally he says, do you love me? He said, well, you know. Now that's the right answer. God, you know. God, you know. God, to all things we yield to you, we say, give us what is born from above. Lord, as a church, we've been seduced by imitations and counterfeits and lesser generations, replicas of this thing, and it's resulted in meager fruit. Not fruit that remains, but something that quickly spoils. Lord, we're tired of producing a a harvest that spoils while yet on the vine. God, we're saying, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done.
on earth as it is in heaven. This is the work that God's doing in your heart. Just embrace it. What do we do now? Just embrace it. That's it.